0: Good morning. How are you this Sabbath? Besides, from being a little warm. It's that time of year, you know. Are you alive out there this morning? <laughs> Jason laughs at me because I use an iPad. He'll just have to laugh. <laughs> When you start getting old, the memory begins to wane just a little bit. <clears throat> so you have to have notes. I do anyway. Last Sabbath, I was in my home church in Ardmore. It was the first time in, I think, about ten weeks. Uh, it was kind of nice to be home. And this particular Sabbath, it was extra nice to, because a uh, couple probably... In their late 40s, I guess, walked in and didn't think anything of it because I'm not there that much anymore. So there's a lot of people there that I don't recognize. But before it was over with, I got to uh, meet these uh, people, man and his wife. And they were there because they had been watching our TV station. And uh, we were excited, or I was excited, because they live um, west of Ratliff City, and they were able to pick up three of our stations, one in Oklahoma City, one in Ardmore, and one in Lawton. So apparently uh, the man, had he told me, he said that we had been praying that God would share with us what is true. So God didn't fool around, did he? <laughs> If uh, we had an issue, and you always have issues, they could change it over to another one of our stations and and pick it up, and um, have started coming to church. Last week was their first week. They were very uh, very excited to be there, um, very anxious. I, I i you know this last week was Fourth of July and I'm not going to lie, I'm a very patriotic person. I love this country. I love America. I love what it has stood for. I love what it even stands for today, with the exception of what people are trying to turn it into. But I love this country. There's, there's an interesting word in the Bible, and I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, um, T-S-B-I-Y, and I think that the T is silent, and I think it's pronounced pronounced C-B, and it's an interesting word. I think you'll only find it in two places in the Bible. You'll find it in uh, Daniel 11 and in Daniel chapter 8, and both of those chapters are a reference to end times. Um, It's a descriptive word, and the word that is translated to may be beautiful, it may be glorious, or it may be pleasant. That's how it's translated. It's speaking of a land. It's speaking of a specific location. It's called the glorious land, or the pleasant land, or the beautiful land. This is... Daniel's description of this land, this land has three very significant, very pointed um, descriptions. The first is a gazelle. The word gazelle is used. And when you study that word in the Bible, it's oftentimes used as beautiful, but more often than not, as free. When you see the word gazelle, it's referring to something that is incredibly free. It's also, another word that is used is roe, as in roebuck as in something that is very, very young. So this land that is being referred to in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11 is very, very young and very, very free. But if you continue to study, it goes back just a little bit further and describes this land, and it uses the word a mass. As in, it has amassed a great military to protect itself. Now, what land would we be talking about? This land. There is only one land on the face of the earth that has ever been completely free. And there's only one land at the end times that will be completely young and there's only one land that has ever amassed a great military and that's the land that we live in today, the United States. I did a Daniel 11 presentation last Sabbath at the International Church and we talked a little bit about Daniel 11 And in both 8 and 11, what it talks about when it's referring to the glorious land or the pleasant land is that people are going to bring their ideas and their philosophies and their political whatever to the glorious land with the intention of destroying it. Do you see that taking place today? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your Sabbath. We thank you so much for your word, your Bible, the very thing that gives us hope, that gives us instruction, that gives us direction, that gives us every single answer there is to every single question that ever existed. Guide my words just now. In your name we pray, amen. Many, many years ago, My kids call it the olden days. When I was about 17, 18 years old, I became a cabinet maker. That's what I do by trade primarily. It was one of those things that just kind of came natural to me. Some people go to school and go to classes and somebody teaches them. For whatever reason, God made me a natural cabinet maker because I didn't have to go to school and I didn't have to go to classes and I didn't have to have a teacher. In fact, the guy I went to work for realized that I could do this, and he just, I was 17 years old, maybe 16. He just put me in a house that just had sheetrock on the wall and said, go build cabinets. So I did. Now, it took me a little while because I had never done it up to that point. Didn't know all the equipment, but I did. It looked just as good as anybody else's. So I became a cabinet maker by trade. Went to Ozark Academy and worked at the Brandoms Manufacturing Cabinet Company. And uh, they were pretty happy with me because I had a lot of knowledge, could do a lot of things, and I was just a kid. I became a cabinet maker. That was my trade. Took a lot of pride in what I did tried hard to do a good job. My mother raised me under that text. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, do it the best way you know how. So I did. I was hungry a lot because you can't work that hard to make things that good making money. <laughs> I finally learned how to get past all that. Through the process of of growing in this career, I ran into, actually I didn't run into him, but I I kept crossing paths with another cabinet maker who was in the area. Uh, his name was Leon. And Leon had been around for a long time, and Leon built cabinets for $35 a foot. That's what Leon was known for. You can buy cabinets from Leon for $35 a foot. Well. <clears throat> If you're a cabinet maker, you're thinking, there's no way you can build cabinets for $35 a foot because if you have a cabinet door up on top and a cabinet door below and a drawer and a countertop, just the materials more than $35 a foot. How is he doing that? People would call me and they'd say, how much do you charge for cabinets? And I'd say, well, it depends on what you want, but somewhere around $65 to $75 a foot. And some of these people would actually call me a crook I was ripping them off because Gleon built them for $35 a foot. So I wasn't a very good person, but I still had lots to do, so I couldn't figure out if this guy's building cabinets so cheap and I'm twice the price, how is it that I'm still as busy as I am? One day I was working somewhere, and there was a house and there was a big truck out said, Leon's Cabinets, and I thought, I want to sneak in there and take a little look when they leave. Well, they got there about 7 that morning, and by noon, they were gone. The cabinets were all in, countertops were all on, and they were gone. Well, that was kind of impressive. So I go inside, and I look around, and there's cabinets on the wall. Look like cabinets, got cabinet doors, countertop, drawers, and appropriate places. These were the roughest cabinets I have ever seen in my life. They had never been sanded, joints weren't pulled together, mill marks all over the place. A mill mark is where it's been run through the saw and it hasn't been cleaned up or planed and made smooth. I don't remember, it's been too long ago, I don't recall seeing if there was any glue anywhere. So, the cabinets weren't glued together anywhere and and the upper cabinets they did have some solid wood shelving in it because he would buy one by twelve white pine because it was close enough to the right depth, and he'd just slice it and and nail everything there was There was no joinery that you would typically find in cabinet making. there was nothing refined about any of this i I didn't know Leon. I never met Leon, but when I saw the work that Leon had produced, I was pretty sure that I didn't like him. One of the things that I've always been intrigued by is, is human nature. That's our willingness to make decisions based completely on assumptions. And what's so interesting is that while I'm aware of this, and I've even studied this, even to this day, I'm still guilty of doing that. Do you do that? I'm not sure what's behind this, except for maybe poor communication, specifically listening habits. Several years ago, I found a book on communication. In this book, there was a chapter on listening and in this chapter, there was a test that you could take, and it would tell you how good of a listener that you are. Now, I'm a person that has always taken, well, say sorry to say, but pride in my listening skills because I always, if I'm talking to people, I want to know what they're saying. And if there's a group of us, I want to know what everybody's saying. I want to know what their opinions are. I want to know where they're coming from. I took the test and I failed miserably. I failed. I mean, I didn't even make 50 percent. It was that bad. You know, we think we might be listening to something, but are we really listening? It's been said that communication is more visual than verbal. Have you ever heard that? Some people say even as much as 90 percent. That's a lot. I know that I'm a person that's, that's highly visual. In fact, it's been very difficult for me to stand up here and, and give a sermon presentation because I am so visually oriented that I have to translate in my mind what I see into what I'm going to say so that you see it too. And that's a real challenge. <clears throat> What we see sometimes determines what we think. It kind of sets a precedence visually. If you see a man go into a forest with a long gun and and wearing cameo, you wouldn't think anything of it. You would think, wow, he's probably just going hunting. Maybe I shouldn't have used that analogy after this last week. But if you see that same man going into a crowded theater, you might be a little concerned, and rightly so. If you saw a woman in a wedding dress, you would assume she was getting married. And it was just a few years ago that you would assume that it was to a man. Things are changing. I think I was about 19 when I finally met Leon in his cabinet shop. He was about 50, maybe 55. It was kind of a interesting. I don't remember the circumstances of why I met him. Um, it wasn't anything like I expected. He was incredibly nice. And he took an instant liking to me. I don't know if it's because I was just so young and eager. He just liked me, and, and, and I liked him. And we became friends really, really quickly. And we lived in different towns, so um, if the opportunity came up and he came to Ardmore, he would come over and, and he would talk. Or I would go over to his town and I would stop in and talk with him. And we always would start off by saying, I've only got a minute, but it was at least four hours before we separated. We just had a a really good time. Uh, And I I really grew to appreciate this man. One day I had dropped by. He was tied up. He He had a big shop. One that I had always envied, and he had several men working and um, had offices and his office was his inner sanctum, you might say, and very few people got to go into his office, his inner sanctum, but if I walked through the door, I was immediately ushered into his office, and we would sit and talk for a long time but this particular day, he was out in the in the working area and, and uh, dealing with some issues. In production, and I had a chance to just walk around. And on one end of the building, I didn't know it, but he had a showroom. And in this showroom, he had at least eight working kitchens, different style of cabinets, but there were at least eight. So I thought, "Wow, this is kind of cool. You, you know, all these nice-looking kitchens with countertops and different-style cabinet doors and different style of wood. And, and as I was walking around, suddenly it occurred to me that the cabinets in this showroom were exactly like the cabinets in that house that I had seen many years before. They were rough. The joinery was poor. I didn't see any glue had been used. Um, Meal marks were everywhere. They were exactly what I had seen. And I remember thinking, wow, what an opportunity. If I had a showroom like this, I would want my very best work to be presented here. But that's not not what I would say was there he was uh, he, he, he was kind of a mentor to me he probably didn't realize that he since died and he would he would give he just gave me a lot of really good information we just got to be actually kind of close one day i asked him how do you price your cabinets And he kind of got a little smirk on his face. He knew what I was talking about. And he said, well, I'll tell you. And he would. He would tell me anything. Some things I didn't have any business knowing, but he would share anything with me. He says, this is how I price cabinets. They're $35 a foot. He says, all cabinets are the same. Nothing changes. They've got a shelf on the bottom, a shelf in the middle on the base cabinets. And they've got countertops of some sort. The upper cabinets are the same way. They've got three shelves in them. They're thirty-five dollars a foot. And then I say, "What kind of doors do you want?" So they would tell him what kind of doors they wanted. Doors were extra. What kind of countertops do you want? They'd tell them countertops are extra. How many drawers do you want? Because sometimes you just have a door and a drawer. Sometimes you have a stack of drawers. Drawers are extra. By the time you got through adding up all the extras, I was at $75 a foot. He was at 90 Hmm. I didn't feel like such a crook then. Because I was at $75 a foot, and I went to great pains to make sure that my cabinets were glued together and the joinery was properly done, and the sanding was properly done, and the milling was properly done. So it looked just like a piece of furniture. Hmm. Assumptions. People hear what they want to hear. They see what they want to see. Did you know that, that people do the same thing when they're looking for a church? If you were looking for a church, you might look for a building with a cross or a steeple on it. If there were a lot of cars around it, and there must be a lot of people, and if there's a lot of people, that must be a really good church. And if the person up front is, is the preacher, they must be really knowledgeable. And besides being knowledgeable, they, they've made a deal with God, so everything that that person says can be trusted. Sometimes even if it doesn't make sense. People have it in their mind. Oh, I don't get it, but they have it Right. Several years ago, my youngest daughter had a friend over, and we went to church one Sabbath morning. And we got there a little bit early, and as we got there, this girl, she was, she was very nice, and I love her like one of my, one of my own, but she didn't have any filters. She'd say whatever was on her mind. She said, oh, there's nobody here. And I said, yeah, sometimes Sabbath school is a little bit, is a little bit light. Oh, well, our church parking lot is full. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad. We go inside and we're walking around. And, and it was the usual folks who were there. There wasn't any more. There wasn't any less. She was real quiet. And finally, and we hadn't been in the building very long at all. Maybe two minutes. Maybe. And she's, she's got, she's very, mouth is going a lot. This time it's closed. And she said, okay, this place is freaking me out. And I said, How? wow, that's kind of a strange statement. Why is that? She says, everybody's smiling. I thought, hmm, so your church is full and nobody's smiling? <laughs> um But that was the first thing that impressed her. There may not have been very many people there, but everybody was glad to be there who was there. You'd be surprised by the number of people that think they have religious convictions, but those convictions are based on assumptions, the assumptions that I just pointed out. Building looks like a church, lots of people so it must be a good church. Well-dressed person holding a Bible preaching He made a deal with God. He doesn't always make sense, but I must be the one who's confused, not him. The Bible says that you don't have to be confused. Did you know that? In fact, it goes so far as to say in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. That's talking about confusion. Come out of confusion. And it goes on to say, lest you share in her sins and you receive her plagues. That's not a suggestion, is it? That's a warning. That's saying, don't assume. So many people get their religion from the person standing right where I'm standing. And I'm going to tell you, I try hard to bring to you what God's Word has said, but I want you to read it yourself. I don't want to be responsible. So many people get their religion from the person standing right here that it doesn't occur to them that the person standing here could just flat be wrong. I have a good friend locally. He's a good man. Several years ago, I could tell that he had he had turned his heart towards God and wanted to be a Christian. And, and he was a Christian. The, the The problem was that some of the things that he believed were were, were not in this book. And, and I didn't quite know what to do or what to say. Except for on the occasion I might be able to steer him into a direction with a, thus saith the Lord. Recently he was, we were working together somewhere, and he was talking about, he works all the time. And I said, you know, you might be surprised that you have permission not to have to work seven days a week. You have been given permission to take one day off and, and. And it will have absolutely no effect on the outcome. And he said, you know, and I started to interrupt, but he interrupted me. And he said, I wanted to tell you this. I've, I've started studying my Bible. I've, started read, I've determined that I'm going to read my Bible. And the very first thing that I find in the Bible is the Sabbath. The very first thing God created this world in seven days and then he rested he says that's biblical he says I didn't know that before that's biblical I still haven't got him to come to church but he's thinking about it and he's reading his Bible and he's convicted that the Bible is true Psalms 119 verse 105 says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's look at just a few texts in Psalms 119, just, just a few. It's a long chapter, and it, there's a lot of repetition in the chapter, but there's a few places where it has some things that I think are, 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 are very important for us. If if you go to verse 9, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Have you seen this younger generation? This younger generation is all over the place. You've got all kinds of things that are taking their mind away from those things that are good and pure and true. You, you have video games. You've got, you've got cell phones. You've got pornography. You've got uh, uh, music. Um, they're, this younger generation is being hammered from all directions with things that are not of a spiritual nature. How can they possibly overcome How can they possibly overcome? How can a young man keep his way pure? And then it goes on and it says, by keeping it according to your word. According to your word. In verse 11 it says, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do we treasure God's word? Do we recognize it for the value that it is? Do you find God's word valuable, I guess, is the first question I would have to ask. I went through a period where I was not doing a lot of speaking engagements. And when that took place, I got real busy, and I wasn't spending as much time in God's word. And I knew that the only way I would get back into it is if I started speaking again because that would force me to go back to God's word and so I agreed to do that sometimes like the last 8 to 10 weeks has been grueling but I have to say that I have appreciated it verse 15 says I will mediate uh, meditate on your precepts and regard your ways I shall delight in in your statutes i shall not forget your word god's word if you want to be close to god how do you do that get in his word if you want to get close to god go where god is that's how you get close to god Verse 34 says, Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Give me understanding. Have you ever had something that you didn't understand in the Bible? He will give you understanding. You know, I, can, I was just thinking many, many years ago. It must have been 25 years ago. My father was uh, not an exemplary person by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember one day I had given him a Bible for Christmas, if I remember correctly. And just kind of out of my hearing, he said, I wish I knew what was in this book. Well, I was very young then. But you know what's in this book by reading it. You must read it. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear, my heart, to your testimonies and not... dishonest gain. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. God will not force us to do anything that we don't want to do. Did you know that? You can walk any direction you want, you can do anything you want, God is not going to force you. What he is saying here, God, I'm giving you my permission. You know better than I, make me do those things that are right. Did you know you have to give God permission? He's an incredible God, isn't he? Incline my heart to your testimonies and turn and not to dishonest gain. God's word tells us what's good. It tells us what's right. It tells us how we should love one another, care for one another. It tells us how we should look out for those who are, who are less off than we are. It helps us to stay away from things, dishonest gain. Did you know that there is a whole tribe in Israel that is not listed as one of the 12 tribes uh, in Revelation because of their wealth? That tribe was so wealthy they had no ability to overcome their selfishness and so they're not part of that last tribe. There's there's two tribes that are actually not there. You know what the other tribe is? It's the other tribe that does this. They're talking all the time. They're chattering about their neighbor. They're saying things that they shouldn't be saying about other people. Verse 45 says, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will walk at liberty. That's freedom. That's freedom. I will walk at liberty because I seek your precepts. And it goes on to say, and I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. I will speak of your testimonies before kings and I won't be ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed to tell somebody about Jesus? Well, I have to admit that, yeah, I kind of have been. There was a time in my life that it was before I started reading my Bible. I was going to church, doing all the things that church people do. But when I started reading my Bible, I was no longer ashamed. Let's jump over to to verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. The unfolding of your words gives light. One more time. The unfolding of your words gives light. What does that mean? Say again. Open it up. It's, it's, that's, a, that's a good beginning. Yes, ma'am? The unfolding means that you take it apart. And you look at it from all directions. You tear it up. And you see what it's made of. I can remember when I very first started really studying the Bible. I would come to conclusions that were so far out there. And that were so off. And I would get so angry at God. Because I'd say, wait a minute. You're supposed to be telling me what's true. And I've come up with something that's not true. And you let me do it. And then it occurred to me one day that... I took the wrong pathway, but I learned a lot more about what's true because of the pathway that I took than if I would have just come to his righteous conclusions. And suddenly it became aware to me, I saw a whole much larger glimpse of what he was trying to tell me. Here's where it gets really good, it's in that same verse. Verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. Now listen to this, and it gives understanding to the simple. It gives understanding to the simple. See, there's no excuse whether you are an intellectual or whether you are an educated person. Several years ago, we had a young man join the church. He, he was baptized and felt a need to, to be in, involved in, in sharing God's word. And, and, and I don't know how else to say it. He was a hillbilly. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it. And that's, that's as polite as I can say it. He was as simple as they come. You know, he went, he started studying his Bible. And he went off to, to Amazing Facts, AFCO. A- and when he got out, he was one of the most sought-after Bible workers. And when he came back to Ardmore before he went to wherever it was he was going to go, and I'm sorry I've lost connection with him, he preached one of the most powerful sermons I have ever heard in my life. This this simple Country, hillbilly, redneck, I don't care. See, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. If you want to know what's in this book right here, you start by opening it. And then you unfold it. And you stay with it because God's word does not return exactly. Verse 159 says, consider how I love your precepts. Precepts, revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth. Everything in here is true. Verse 165 says, those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Those who love your law... Have great peace. What does that mean? Those who love your law. Those who love. What does that word love mean? It means that those who are willing to grasp it and hang on to it and keep it inside with every fiber of their being. Just taking a few texts out of Psalms one nineteen, the whole the whole Bible is is just an incredible. Um, it's just it's just incredible how how the Bible can change lives. If given the opportunity, one day I was I was walking. Actually, I was at Broken Bow. Are you familiar with Broken Bow, Oklahoma, eastern Oklahoma? Beautiful place. And this has been several years ago. And I, I used to go over there on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and, and uh, I loved to fish. And I would crawl into the creeks and walk up the creeks because it was just so beautiful and, and fish. And just it was, it was kind of my time with God. Nothing else around. You can't go on the weekend because there's 49 million people there. You've got to go during the week. So if my schedule looked like it might be clear, I would sneak off and I would go over there. One day about 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, I was walking back. It was hot. It was miserable. I hadn't caught a fish all day long. It was about 3 o'clock, and I was walking back to where I was parked. And it was still beautiful because the trees canopied the pathway. And something came to my mind that was so profound, I actually stopped in the pathway. And I said out loud, Lord, why am I still here? Because I'm never there at at, at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I'm on on my way home or almost home by 3 o'clock on Friday. But this day I was still there. And I was still there after it was really not that pleasant because it was hot and it was humid and I hadn't caught a fish. And I'm wondering, why am I still there? Well, I couldn't come to any immediate reasons, so I walked on. I had about a half a mile or so before I got to a little footbridge and then another hundred yards up a steep hill to where the vehicles were parked. And As I got to the footbridge, there was a gentleman that had been fishing off down in the creek past the footbridge, and he was walking up out of the creek. Now, if you don't know me, you have to understand that I'm the type of person that can dial a wrong number and talk for an hour. So. This guy looked like a nice fella, and so I stopped to talk to him. Did you catch any fish? Oh, yeah, I caught a bunch of them. Oh. I didn't catch anything. He, he said, well, what are you using? So I showed him. He said, well, I use these type of fly fishing. He said, these are the flies that I use. He said, here, take a couple of them and try them. And I said, well, thanks. You get that with fly fishermen. You don't get that with bait casters. It's just fly fishermen who do that. We share everything. Knowledge will tell you where our secret hiding place for best fishing is. That's just the way we are. So, so I tied one on, and he took me back down there to where he was catching fish. And we didn't catch that many, uh, but we did catch some. His name was Mark. I said, Mark, where are you from? Dallas? I said, wow, Dallas is quite a ways. What, What brings you up? What brings you here on a Friday afternoon from Dallas? Dallas has got a lot going on down there. He said, well, I thought that if I came up here, I might be able to find God. My my heart, It, it it just came out of my chest. I could help you with that. I said, well, what's what's going on? What what makes you think that you need God? He said, well, he says, my marriage is breaking up. Apparently, his first wife had passed away. He loved her dearly. He'd gotten married again. His second wife, I believe she had a young child that he took on as his own as uh, as a little girl. And he'd raised her, and for whatever reason, she had had enough. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, Can you, would you be willing to give me a little bit of the specifics? I said, well, tell me about yourself. He says, well, I'm a construction foreman. I said, enough said. <laughs> I'm in construction. I know what you're going through. It's very, very difficult. And if you're a foreman, it's even more difficult because you take all those problems home with you. And you never get anything to yourself. And he was a, cons- a commercial construction foreman, so that's multiplied a hundredfold. And all of these things was he was bringing home, the frustrations, the anger. the I mean, the, the list just goes on and on. But he loved his wife, and he didn't want to lose her. I, he said, I, I don't know what to do. Um, he said, I, you know, I've talked to him. Maybe we should get a, a marriage counselor. And I said, well, I said, you can do that, but I can show you and tell you a better way. And, and, and he wouldn't listen to me. He was so focused on what he needed to do to save his marriage that he, he, he didn't know he would have done anything. Well, it was getting later, and I didn't know him well enough to invite him back to my travel trailer. So I said, well, let's go find something to eat. It's Friday afternoon about 5 or 6 o'clock. So there's a place over there called Stevens Gap, and there's a wonderful little upscale restaurant. We went in there, and we waited for about an hour. And finally, they put us in a bar because that was the only place that they had to see us, and it was loud. And it was 9 o'clock, Friday night. And, and, and you know, I, I don't recall hearing the music and the noise that was going on. We were just so focused back and forth. And, and he was determined, still determined that he was going to have to find a marriage counselor somebody who could work this out and maybe if they sold their house or maybe if or maybe and I kept saying that won't work that won't work and finally after probably about two hours in this bar after we got seated he finally started to listen to me I says if you want to save your marriage you have to start with you and he kind of sat back I said, if you want to save your marriage, it starts with you and your relationship with God. And he, he, he was listening now, and it's pushing towards 11 o'clock at night, and we're still there. And I said, if you want to work on your relationship with God, you go to his word. And I said, this is going to be the easiest thing you will ever do. I said, she's going to do whatever she's going to do. There's nothing you can do to stop it. But if you do this, something will happen. Anytime I talk to people about God's word who are unfamiliar with it, I tell them to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those books over and over and over. In fact, I told him if you read them 20 or 30 times, that is just a good start. But read those books. I said, I promise you it's gonna change your life. I promise you you're gonna see things that you've never seen before. I promise you if there's a chance for your wife this is where it's at. Well, we went our separate ways. I was in Dallas one day and and he called me and and he was absolutely in tears. He said my wife and daughter are here and they are moving out. And I said, "Man, I am so sorry to hear that. This has been about maybe a month later. He said they're moving out. He says not only are they moving out, he was he was just clearly upset. He says, I can hear them in the back room and they're laughing at me. I said, that's all right. I says, it's not too late. I said, are you reading the Bible? I've been reading the Bible. I said, just keep going. Don't stop. And I pulled over in Dallas and we prayed that God would somehow intervene. Well, a few weeks later, I get a text. And the text says that God is surely with you. My wife has moved back in and she has said that she never dreamed that our relationship could be this good. Now he was very kind when he said that God is with you, but the truth of the matter is, is God was with him. Now God was with him. God had softened his heart. God had made him where he is more receptive to the people around him and those who were in his life. God had made him a man that God wanted him to be. And a husband to his wife. I haven't spoken to him since. I don't know how it went, except to say that if he has stayed in God's word, then it hasn't done anything but gotten better. I know that for a fact. That's just how it works. One day my friend, Leon, pulled up in front of my shop there in Ardmore. And I could tell by the way he was acting that he was was itching to tell me something. Apparently, he had been in a lawsuit with one of his customers. One of his customers had sued him in the court of law, and it had gone to court. And he wanted to tell me about it. So he starts out by saying that they get in front of the judge. And apparently, the customer is the one who brought the lawsuit because the customer went first that 's usually how it works in court. Leon was sitting in the back um, The gentleman was standing up before the judge, and the judge was saying, "Tell me what the deal is and the judge and the the, the, the customer says, "Judge." I want to tell you that these were the worst cabinets I have ever seen in my life. And Leon was back there going, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Judge, those cabinets didn't show any sign that they had ever been sanded. Leon's back there going, mm hmm, yeah, mm hmm, yeah, that's correct. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Mill marks everywhere. Yes, mm hmm, yeah, mm hmm, mm hmm. Drawers didn't work very good. Cabinet doors weren't aligned exactly proper. Mm -hmm, Yep, yep, that's that's, that's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the judge is starting to look back there at Leon like he's kind of nuts. And this man goes on and on and on describing these cabinets just exactly as they were. And Leon sat back there and said, "Mm -hmm, yep, yep, that's right, Mm -hmm, yep, yep. And pretty soon this man had said his piece, and the judge says, Well, Leon, what do you have to say? So as Leon's walking towards the judge, his customer's walking to his seat, and Leon says, Would you mind answering some questions, coming up here and answering some questions? And uh, the guy looks at the judge, and the judge says, Sure, if you'll do it. man comes up, and Leon says, First of all, how did you find out about me? He said, "Well, you built some cabinets in my neighbor's house, and um, man, those guys were fast. They got in there and did it. I mean, were there and gone before you blinked. And uh, I thought, I thought they really knew what they were doing. Okay," he said. "How how did you decide what type of cabinet you wanted in your house?" He said, "Well." I came to your your place of business and was in your showroom and you've got all these cabinet displays and, and we chose the one, you know, second from the end on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. He says, have you been there since? And the customer says, yes, I have. And you've looked over the cabinets. Yes, I have. Let me ask you this question. Are those cabinets that you saw in that showroom different than what was in your house? And he said, no, they weren't. And the judge slammed his gavel down and said, pay the man. You got what you paid for. There's going to be a time that we're going to have to stand before a judgment. Are you getting what you paid for? Right here, every question that has ever come to man can be answered right here. There's no excuses. You may be of simple mind. That's not an excuse. I know that everybody here has a Bible, if not in their home, they've got one close to their home. I suspect that most of you, if you're like me, you've got dozens in your home. But if you don't answer it, will the judge say you got what you paid for? It's as simple as that. You know, Satan's going to be at that hearing. And he's going to say, That one belongs to me. Yes, he had a Bible in his house. Yes, people knocked on his door and invited him to church. He didn't listen. He belongs to me. I want to encourage you turn the TV off an hour earlier. Get up an hour earlier. There was one text in here, and I I meant to mark it, where David says, I praise your name seven times a day. That's pretty impressive. David, the adulterer, the man after God's own heart. See, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. I give sermons that pertain to me as much as they do anybody else. I'm not standing here to tell you that I have it figured out. I'm standing here to tell you that I struggle just like everyone else. I depend strictly on the grace of God. But sometimes God says, it's right there, just open it. And if I go too long, I'm going to tell you, I really get to miss in reading his word. I get to miss in standing and praying and asking him to lead out in my life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that people, that men have fought and died to bring us these things, these precepts, these promises, these answers, everything that is here. You've given us examples of people all through history who have had to deal with everything that we deal with today. There is no excuse. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us strength, that we can do like David said, that we will learn to love your precepts, that we will set time aside every single day, and that we will spend it with you in your word. Guide us and direct us, Lord, through the rest of this day. In your name we pray. Amen.